Alrighty. So, we are back to the book of Ecclesiastes. So you can go ahead and uh, turn there. Um, we took a break from the book of Ecclesiastes to spend a couple of weeks going through um, the nativity story. Uh, so we were teaching through some Christmas things, and, uh, and now we're back. And I'm glad that we had the opportunity to celebrate Christmas together uh, this past, past week. Um, I saw a meme posted on Facebook a couple of days ago. Um, the day after Christmas, one of, my, one of my friends posted this meme that said, it's 364 days until Christmas, and this idiot next door already has his decorations up. Uh, and that's how I feel. Christmas is over, all right? So let's get back to the good stuff, all right? Now, Christmas was very, very good stuff, and hopefully you enjoyed that. So we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, six. this evening. Um, in 2012, the network TLC debuted a show called... My 600-pound life. Now, TLC has a lot of shows that depict people living in very unique uh, situations and strange circumstances. Um, and this show is uh, no different from that, from that. Originally, this started as kind of a miniseries, but it became so popular that it, it became its standalone show. Apparently, audiences could not get enough of something that was very difficult to fathom, and that is... A person living their life this large, literally. Every episode of this show details one year in the life of a person who weighs at least 600 pounds. And that number is just a baseline, because more often than not, not uh, many of the show's participants are well over that number. Many are over 700 pounds. At least a dozen hasn't have been over 800 pounds. One uh, participant featured on this show weighed in at 920 pounds. That is very difficult to wrap the mind around. Now, during, during each episode of, of this show, um, participants seek the guidance of, of Dr. Now, um, a Houston area surgeon named Yunan Nauzaradan. I think I'm pronouncing this correctly. Nauzaradan, Dr. Now. Dr. Now will give his patients a very strict diet. He tries to help them understand a, a good relationship with food. And in many cases, after some progress has, has been made, he'll offer weight loss surgery like gastric bypass or sleeve gastrectomy. And the goal is to help people to lose weight, to change their lives for the better, to, to be healthier. Really, losing weight isn't really the whole point. Health is the, is the whole point because for each of these people, their lives are at, are at stake. This is evidenced by the fact that eight of the patients that have appeared on this show have died after, after the airing of their episode. And most of these cases was, were from organ failure or heart attack. One was, was from suicide. In reading the stories of many of these, part, these participants, a few things quickly come to the surface. The fir first is that nearly every single one of them is suffering from some form of dep depression. And food is their coping mechanism. Many of them have had close family members die or have experienced, experienced tremendous, intense tragedy. One such uh, uh, participant was Kalisa McMillan. At age 30, 
She divorced her, her first husband, who was abusive and had finally, finally uh, been arrested. And it's at that point that she began to, began to eat excessively. She then met her fiancé, Melvin. Melvin moved herself and her children in with Melvin. And then at age 39, she had her first heart attack. The doctors could not operate on her heart because of her, of her size. And then Melvin died in a car accident. And she said, that devastated me, but I did what I had to do to get through it. And that was to eat, eat, so that I didn't fall apart. When she appeared on, appeared on the show, she was 650 pounds and, and in dire risk of life-threatening heart and, and organ failure. She knew that she had to lose weight, weight or she would die. And here's a quote from Kalisa, and I want you to remember, remember it because we're going to revisit this quote later. She says, I've allowed food to waste my life. Just, just the hunger and the want and the crave has taken over my life. And I am, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted of this life. Living like this, this is not living. I can feel the weight weighing me down. It's like my body's trying to give, to give up and I can feel it. But I can't give up. I have to be here, here for my kids. In September of 2020, less than six months after the airing of her, of her episode, Kalisa died of multiple organ, organ failure. Watching shows like this, audiences are gripped by the visual results of ex- extreme addiction. Seeing before your, your eyes what happens when food controls a person's life. These people are literally, literally eating themselves to death. Another thing that's amazing about a show like this is watching the enablers that surround these people. One, pa- one patient, James King, midway through his treatment had um, managed to put on 160 pounds in just two months' time. And he did this while staying in a controlled fold facility. How? Well, it turns out his wife was sneaking him pizzas when the doctors weren't looking. James, like Kalisa, had started, started eating excessively after the death of a loved one, this time his mother. And shortly after his episode, he also died at a weight of 791 pounds. We watch this show, and we shake our heads, and we just can't believe that someone would be so addicted to feeding themselves, never being satisfied until until the thing that they're addicted to kills them. All the while, being being totally unaware that this is exactly what most most of us do spiritually. We We shake our heads at them, Unable to fathom how, so, how someone can do the same thing so much. Thinking it will, make, it will make them happy. And it never does. And destroys them. We judge them thinking to, them, thinking to ourselves, Well, I know, I know how to be healthy. Look at me. But we fail to realize, realize that what they are doing with their bodies, we are doing with our hearts. And in our souls, we are just as, as morbidly obese with time running out before our, our own impending doom. 
We each each have our own vices. For some, it's money. For some, it's success. Having a good image, being being an outwardly good and liked person. For some, it's achieving certain goals. For others, it's having having a perfect romance. Maybe it's making a difference for good in the the world. But whatever it is, like gluttons, we we binge eat from sunup to sundown, feeding our souls whatever we can get our hands on. More money, more financial stability, more stuff, stuff. A better body, nicer clothes, and another 250 attempts at the perfect picture to post onto Instagram. Another promotion, another reach up the ladder, another distinct distinction in your field, another opponent defeated, another record, record set, another date, another Tinder match, another rom-com or romance novel, another wedding magazine. Another service project, another non-profit, another, another volunteer opportunity. Maybe it's the lust of the flesh. Another, another gallery. Another video. Another model. Another fantasy. On, on and on we feed. Not that all of these things are bad, though some, though some of them are. But just like Pete's Pizza isn't bad... But 42 Domino's pizzas in one week, like the person we just discussed in 600 pound life, that's bad. Yes, that is six large Domino's pizzas a day. Pizza's not not bad, but 42 of them in a week, that's bad, bad. But just like that, we keep eating, eating, and eating, and eating. Whatever it is that we think is going to satisfy our hearts, and we keep getting more and more weighed down. But it does not have, not have to be this way. There's a way to be spiritually healthy. There's a way to enjoy our food without it owning us. us. And that's what Solomon is going to show us today in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We'll be, look, we'll be looking at the entire chapter, which is only 12 verses. Solomon, beginning in verse 1, says this. There is, a, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on, man, on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This, this, is bubbles. It is a grievous evil. evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many, many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he, and he also has no burial, I say that, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not, not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all, all go to the one place? All the, to- the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is, is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the, over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct, conduct himself before the living? 
Better is the sight of the eyes, the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is bubbles and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, been named. And it is known to man what man is, is. And that he is not able to dispute with one strong, stronger than he. The more words, the more, but more bubbles. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is, what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell, can tell man will be after him under the, the sun. So, this, this passage basically breaks down into three sections thematically. The first is verses 1 through, through 6. And this thematic section is, you can have it all, but not enjoy any of it. The second sec- section is verses 7 through 9, and the thematic uh, section there is, you think you need more, but you can, ne- can never get enough. And then finally, verses 10 through 12, 12, is that you get the same as everyone else ever, ever has. So what we find in, in chapter 6 is essentially a summary of every, everything that he has talked about thus far in the book of Ecclesiastes. Every argument that he's been building, he's, he's, he's bringing to a close here in chapter 6. He's revisiting noting a lot of the same things that he's talked about before, and he's putting his, putting his cap on, on his, his argument. Um, um, and so when we look at the second half of, of verse 9, where he says, This also is vanity, bubbles, and a striving after the wind. This is the tenth and, and final time he will use this phrase in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. This striving after the wind. This is van- vanity and a striving after the wind. He said that ten times so far in the book. Right? In, in six chapters, ten, ten times he says, This is vanity and a striving after the wind. This is bubbles and striving after the wind. This is, bu- is bubbles and striving after the wind. Over and over and over. This is the last time that he says that. So what we have here in chapter, chapter 6 is a turning point in the book. This is a shift, shift. This is the first half of the book being closed. Right? The first half of this book has been, has been spent pruning away false thinking. We talked, we talked at the very beginning about how part of the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon the gardener pruning out all false ways of thinking that should not be there. He's cutting away stuff that is present that ought not be. And so the, the, the first half of the book is spent pruning. The second half of the book will be spent planting new, new good seed. So this is Solomon's conclusion to the first half of his, of his argument that satisfaction in life can, can only be found in God. And so he brings, brings up example after example. There was this, but it was bubbles. And there was this. But it was bubbles, and there was there was this. But it was bubbles. Next, uh, uh, over the next several chapters, instead of bringing up bringing up things and saying it ought not be, he's going to start saying this is, is what should be. So, if you're taking taking notes, here is point number one. Some sometimes the worst thing God can give you you is exactly what you ask for. Some, sometimes the worst thing God can give you is exactly what you, what you ask for. I'm sure you've heard, you've heard the phrase, 
Be careful what you wish for. And, and what we have in the first six verses is Solomon talking about having everything he ever wished for. But yet he can't enjoy it. He says, he says, there's an evil I've seen under the sun. It lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor. So that he lacks nothing of all he desires. But God does not give him power to enjoy them. You got it all. You have everything you could ever want. You have everything you ever wish for, wish for. But you can't enjoy them. What this, what this reminds me of is a, a game that Allison Houston used to play on Facebook with people called Meanie Genie. Anybody, anybody ever play this game on, on Facebook? Meanie Genie, right? So somebody types in a wish, and, and then you have to respond by ruining their wish. Right? So somebody might say, I wish I could fly. And you type back, all right, granted, you can, you can fly, but you can only fly six inches off the ground. Wish ruined. Or, or you might say, I wish I had a big, big, beautiful house. And your mini genie response is, okay, granted, but your, ha- your house has no windows and no doors. Ruins the wish. The wish. You might say, I wish I had all, had all the money in the world. And the mini genie says, granted, but you can't spend, spend any of it. Wish ruined. I wish I was the smartest person in alive. Okay, granted, but you think, think so bad at communicating that everyone thinks that you're a total, total moron. So it doesn't matter. I wish I, wish I was popular and well-liked. Okay, granted, but you're always going to be the best friend that no one wants to date, and you're going to be single your entire life. Meanie Genie ruins every, everything. Now Solomon gives his own, own version of Meanie Genie. I wish I had everything in the world. And God says, granted, but you can't enjoy any of it. You can have all you want, but you can't enjoy it. When he talks about a man, in in verse 2, a man to whom God God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires, this seems to be autobiographical, is it not? This harkens back to chapter 2, almost word for word describing his exact experience. Chapter 2, he talks about the vanity of self-indulgence, and he says, As I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but also, but behold, this also was bubbles. I said of laughter, it's mad, it's mad, and the pleasure, what use is it? I, ser- I searched with my heart how to share my body with mine, with mine. Keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. From my 
in mortars and rolled it in platinum and made cakes of it. The taste of it was like cakes thick with oil. So it was it was yellow cakes, twinkies. Alright? God gave them twinkies. Twinkies of heaven. This is like a dream come true, right? Can you imagine, imagine going outside that says, here's all the twinkies you can ever eat, and they're healthy. So they look at the, twi- the twinkies and they say, "Not good enough. God, not good enough. You've given us, given us everything. You've set us free. You've done miracle after miracle after miracle. Not enough. We don't want manna. We want the and the anger of the Lord blazed hot, hot." The anger of the Lord blazes hotly. And Moses himself at this point looks at the Lord and Lord and goes, uh, yeah, Lord, 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 Lord. I don't know why you made me them. I can't, I can't give them what they want. Okay? If this is how they're going to be, to be, just kill me now. Like, literally, he says that. I'm not even going to carry these people alone. The burden is going to me. If you're going to treat me like this, kill me at what time. They are, they are so bad by complaining so much that most of most literally says to God, these are your people, people. Kill them or kill me. I can't, I can't take it anymore. Parents said something about that. And here's what God does. The people are asking for meat. Verse 18. Say to the people, say people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. You shall kill me. For you are, for you are bread, bread, and hearing the Lord saying, Who will be this means, this means, there was bread for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall shout. You, sh- you shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five, five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole, a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils, and becomes, and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the love of the Lord, who is among them. Living like this is not living, I feel the weight, the 
I mean, 
Yards and touchdowns than anyone else. What 
it's almost a comedy that's left to laugh, okay? He's tied for second place all, all time in most of the post passes thrown by the same receiver. So, so only one of the in the has thrown more touchdowns to the same guy.
Thank you. 